Welcome to the 10 Laws with East Forest podcast. I am that guy that I just mentioned. Uh, This week, I have a conversation with Michael Muller, and he is someone who is one of the co-founders and part of the band called Balmoray. If you haven't checked out Balmoray, and it looks kind of like Balmorehia, H-E-A, but Balmoray, check it out. It's one of the bands that has been a big inspiration to me going back to the very beginning of East Forest. And I mentioned to Michael how uh, their very first record, which is called River Arms, and you can find all the records, including that record on Spotify, was a profound one for me. And Michael's got a solo album out right now, and that album is called Lower River We talk actually a little bit about those parallels between that first Balmoray album, River Arms, and this new solo project of his, which is probably more than 10 years later um, or more, Lower River. But it's a really beautiful, beautiful work. Uh, It's melodic, but dense, emotional, uh, yet inventive, and it's out. So you can check it out if you want to dive into this kind of music that takes you into that inner space. And it's designed for, well, just that, um, cultivating a, uh, an inner journey of sorts, but in, in the way that Michael wants to do it. So obviously it's interesting to me and I thought it would be interesting to you. And I always like hearing about people's creative process and being able to talk to folks that inspire me. So Check out that music wherever you listen to it, and he has a vinyl that you can that you can uh, that you can buy too. We'll try to get those links out here in the show notes. Uh, but I'm going to China tomorrow, so I'm trying to get this out. As a matter of fact, when this comes out, I'll either be in the air or almost landing. So wish me well with the travel gods. I'm going to Shanghai for the At One Festival. I don't know much about it. So this is going to be a big adventure for me, and I can't wait to tell you all about it. You can check out like some pictures from the trip on Instagram and Facebook and social media, East Forest Music or East Forest. And we'll see. It's kind of a trippy thing to be going out there. I just need to remember to like do what I do and you know, not try to figure out what they need or want, but just be like, well, look, they, they hired me to do this. So I need, it's important to remember to do what I do best and, and treat everyone like souls. Even if it feels like a very foreign place to me, we're all still souls. So I'll let you know about that soon. As soon as I'm back, I'll give you a report. Maybe I'll be over there and I can record like a little episode where I could just give you my thoughts on what it's like to be on the other side of the globe out there. In Shanghai. I will be in Australia in February. So all you Australia people that I've yet to meet, please help me spread the word. And I really am looking forward to this first trip. It's in February. You can see the dates at eastforest.org slash tour. And uh, other than that, man, I'm just I'm just cracking along on that music studio here in Boise. Got back up here and kind of based out of here for for the winter with Rada and I'm feeling good, feeling grateful. And we're continuing with the reworks for the Ram Dass album. And I'm, I'm helping out some artists on that. And we're just trying to get them all out so we can kind of stagger them out between now and the end of the year for you. In addition to uh, a couple more music videos by David Altabelli, who did the home video, um, he's got two more parts two and three. So we're just really trying to help him 
and waiting for him to finish so we can get this all. It's kind of like completes the full picture, the sister projects to the, the record. Um, but it's been an amazing ride and I can't wait to close it out uh, right right at the end of the year. Um, hey, if you get a second, could you review this podcast? If you're on Apple Podcasts, you just scroll back to the shows and all the way down to the bottom there and you'll see where you can click five stars, which is how it's so easy. Just do that. We, we're at, we're just crossed a hundred ratings. Thank you so much, everybody for doing that. And if you can write a written review, write a written review. We've got some good ones in there and I love seeing them and everybody else does too. Share the podcast on your social medias. Hey, if you want to just send me a whole bunch of money because you like this podcast and you like these free offerings, it's a gift to you and you want to give back, go for it. Info at eastforest.org. That is the PayPal address where no one has sent me money, but you could. You could. It's a legal thing you can do. That is also the email where you can send me questions and say hello and and um, tell me about your dreams and all that kind of stuff. I get some wonderful emails from people. <laughs> uh, and e- seriously, though, if, if you have a question or a person you'd like me to interview or, or be in conversation with or whatever, a subject matter or meditation you'd like, that's the, that's the email, info at eastforest.com. Apologies if I don't get back to all of you, but I always do my best to do just that. Okay, let's get into this conversation with the great Michael Muller. Thank you for doing this. I have um, been a big fan, actually, of, of Balmeray. I mean, gosh, I, I saw you guys play, I'm not sure on the year, but it was for, um, it was in a church in Union Square of New York City. Oh, it was, no way. You were there? Yeah, it was for wow. River Arms. And I remember my buddy, Mark, who he used to work in the music industry. I used to live in New York City. And he was like my guy who would take me to shows. You know, he'd always be like, he just always seemed to know about stuff. And he's always introducing me to stuff. And so I remember he suggested this show. And I remember going to the church. And um, you mind if I tell you this little story about how yeah, I got introduced to your work? <laughs> and we were sitting in one of the pews. And you guys played your show. And I was enjoying it. And I remember my buddy Mark was like, talking or I don't know he said something and some guy like shushed him in front of us and he told the guys like hey man it's a rock concert it's <laughs> like it's like this is rock and roll and he's like oh okay and he bought your album a CD or River Arms afterwards and this is you know back in the CD time and I remember we uh I hope it doesn't upset you but we like ripped it we like split the cost you know uh-huh. he bought it and then I got a copy of it digitally and that album um became one of my favorite albums and still is one of my favorite albums. There's something really special about that record to me. And, oh, actually, I remember I I discovered, I took Mark because I heard you on Second Stage. Remember that? Second NPR's little stage. thing? Robin yeah. Hilton had a, a podcast called oh, yeah. Second Stage. Yes. Yeah, I didn't remember the name of the show, but I remember that host. Yeah, and they featured you guys. And I remember you used field recordings. And in my music at the time, I was just starting my East Forest project. I was also exploring a lot of field recordings. And so I remember that was sort of my doorway in. Now I'm remembering. Mm. 
that is a, that is a funny thing that actually looked I just looked up the archive that show was February 29th so a leap year day in 2008 2008 yep. yeah and that, yeah that church was right by just north of Gramercy Park on the corner yep. of Le- Lexington and 18th I think something like that yeah it was near Union Square for sure yeah I totally remember it I remember what it looked like and that was the first show we ever played in New York actually yeah, I'm, you and I, I remember talking to you briefly afterwards. Oh, and, really? That's and funny. kind of discussing, like, yeah, we're just kind of getting going with this. And um, anyway, you guys kept going, and um, I kept tracking your work and enjoying it. And I saw you one other time in Portland, Oregon. I moved to Portland, and I saw you at Doug Fur. Oh, yeah, you had a great. fantastic show. Yeah, you had a band, you had a drummer, you had expanded. That was probably not too long ago. I don't know, four years, five years ago, something like that. That's great. Yeah, we love Doug Fur. It's a great place. I love playing there. So, um, good on you. Thank you for being an inspiration and, and doing oh, what you guys have been doing. I'm so glad that, uh, you've kept, you've kept up this long. <laughs> yeah. I'm, glad I, I'm glad I have as well. Exactly. <laughs> We've both been doing it a while. And, and that group where I'm, I just was curious if I could just get a little more background on Balmeray and I'd love to get into this, this new work that you're putting out, sure. which I listened to and I really enjoyed. Okay. Um, the group is, Balmeray has been described, you know, it has some like contemporary classical edges. And I've heard, I think one of your uh, colleagues there in the group, I don't know his name, mentioned like some influences of some sort of experimental classical work like John Cage and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but what else? I mean, did you guys have sort of an intentionality when you were making that first record about like the parameters you wanted to work in? Because you've sort of stuck with that. And uh, like it is largely instrumental. There's some vocalizations at times, but is is that sort of like the colors you wanted to paint with and still do? And there's is there a reason why? Hmm. It was never really an intentional thought when we first started. Um, I had some just very crude guitar demos I'd recorded uh, near the end of my time at university. And Rob, who's the other co-founder with myself, right. um, he has a background in piano and he had some songs he'd been working on as well uh and when we, when we met and became friends and realized we had this musical bond we i was like well I have, I have some songs i'm working on like what if i bring my guitar over and you can figure out a piano part and vice versa and so that's sort of how we we just started kind of working together and then before we knew it, we had like 12 or 13 songs and a friend asked us to play a show and we were sitting at the springs in balmeray texas playing guitars and just swimming uh whenever we got the text asking to play the show and they're like, Oh wow, this is like this is I guess a real thing now. What what should we call ourselves? And so we were we called the the name of the band where we were sitting. I don't know. I don't know. It just, <laughs> it just seemed to fit and uh you know, most people don't know how to pronounce it correctly, um, which you right. do what you did. Uh, so well, I've I've been to that town. Uh oh, I yeah. drove by there on my way to South by and I had a burger there or something. And I remember thinking like, oh, this has got to be the town. You guys the, named it It's after. the one and only. It's a, yeah. The name of the town is actually not even a word. It's the, the first syllable from the, the three last names of the founding families that you know first settled there. No shit. Oh. The, Ballard, the Ballards, the Morrows, and the Rays. <laughs> They're probably still there in some form or another. Yes, maybe. <laughs> And so you guys did that, and it, it seemed to have some legs, and um, things really continued for you. I noticed you, you definitely did a lot of work in Europe as well. 
and then a lot of sync work because you know instrumental music like that mm-hmm. with sort of an emotional backbone tends to do well and that seems like it has done well for you guys yeah so we started and this was the height of the myspace era um, ah, be- right. before you before youtube before instagram i think facebook maybe was has just started fr- or was it friendster was around oh yeah friendster. oh yeah <laughs> but myspace was a thing so i remember when we we pressed you know, we recorded our first record with a single microphone and just overdubbed every little piece on top of each other um didn't know what what we were doing and we pressed a thousand rec- cds only ourselves and i just remember making a list of all the music i liked and the labels I followed and tried to find as many mailing addresses as I could and just sent out anything and everything to anyone who could maybe listen to it. And uh, we got a few few reviews on some smaller music blogs back then. And that kind of just started it. And we just started playing all the time. Um, we did a few residencies in Austin at a couple places. And then eventually we started playing enough where people started coming and paying attention. And then we met... Brian, who runs Western Vinyl, the record label we've been on right. uh, for a decade plus now. And yeah. through through his support and his distribution channels and you know, we just it just kind of keep keeps going and here we are. Here we are. Here we are talking. Yeah. And you guys expanded too, right? I mean, you've sort of also been committed to a bit of the band model in the sense yeah. that that's kind mm-hmm. of an interesting approach as opposed to like the two core members and then you sort of swap people in and out. It's, it seems like you've, you've, you've uh, honored this idea of working with the same people over time. Yeah, completely. Yeah. We've, we started as two and then added a cello and then we added some percussion and that our first few like bigger tours were as a quartet uh, with cello and violin uh, and then guitars and piano, and then we added percussion, and then we added an upright bass. There's been sort of a revolving door in the cello and in the percussionist role, just from people moving or you know having kids and not being able to tour or having different jobs or whatever. But yeah, we've kind of stuck with pretty much the same core group. Um, but it is uh, Rob, the pianist, and myself, the co-founders, do you know continue to write write all the music and arrange all the pieces. Yeah. On the back. Do you do you ever is do you ever think about like once you start becoming a touring band, uh, the limitations of like adding members and the complexities that now involves when you go on tour and the costs, or do you try to just like say what's best for the music? What do we want to do? What are we inspired by? In the past, we've just said the music has to dictate. Like it's worth it, you know, to do what we have to do to make the music the way it should be live. Um, so we've just kind of not held had any parameters in terms of limits and when we're writing a recording of the material for the album in terms of how it will play out in the live setting um the past album uh which came out in 2017 entitled clear language uh, was kind of a wider palette so it took a lot more preparation and resources to make to make that happen live and i think um in the next the next release we have it's there's there will, there will be some limitations put in place just to make it a little easier um from a production standpoint and also from a, a financial standpoint when we go on the road sure well are you guys you know i know the landscape of music obviously has changed so much since we were talking about that first show in 2008 and 
are are you guys like kind of or even yourself just doing your solo work have you thought about like different ways of releasing music or timelines you know some people are sort of abandoning the album it's something that i still personally really value and i like kind of making a collection of songs that talk together and represent a moment in time but I also notice people just sort of releasing two tracks, almost like an AB, sort of like a reference, almost to old records. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe with your own group, it's like you guys seem to like get together and create something, and then maybe there's a tour cycle around it, almost sort of a more traditional approach. Yeah, I think we've kind of stuck to that model, um, and and then now with the advent of Spotify, and you can kind of give it a test, you know, a teaser beforehand, a song or two, and then the last few records we've tried to also release an EP or two songs or a seven inch, you know, a few months after the full length comes out. And I I think we we like that approach. We've never, aside from little compilations or things we've asked, we've been asked to be on, we've never released a single song just on its own. Yeah. Yeah. And how many releases have you guys put out? We have six studio albums and a live album. Um, one tour EP from a long time ago that was kind of some B-sides and rarities, and then we have three different 7-inch EPs. Um, and we have a, a full-length reworks, and then each of those EPs have several reworks um, as the digital B-sides. So I was mentioning that uh, I really my doorway into your world was through the first album, River Arms, and your new solo work is called Lower River, correct? Yes, so the kind of no, for a second no, there when I was writing it down, I was like, "Wait a minute, am I getting that right?" And I was like, "Oh, it is quite similar." No connection or uh, relation in any way. Well, tell me about that title before we get into it. Like, where did that come from? The title "Lower River." Um, my wife and I had been interested in meditation and researching kind of deeper places of consciousness and. We're both huge David Lynch fans, and actually, our very first kiss was um, watching Twin Peaks. <laughs> um, but um, I've I kind of I was started I got when the new Twin Peaks uh, season came out. I guess that was like whenever that was a year ago so or two we, years ago yeah. now. Yeah, um, I got back into that world and started watching interviews and you know different as uh, sp- spoken speaking engagements from David Lynch and on one of them he was talking about or someone asked him on some panel or something where he got his ideas from and he was talking about um, the planes of consciousness and like kind of accessing this lower space and I started thinking about that um, and kind of just started using that term lower river um, just in speaking with my wife and talking about you know what we were thinking about as a way to relate or a way to uh, distinguish that space uh, as a place of kind of pure creation um, where, you know, where time and your surroundings and, and the filters of your ego and those things kind of dissipate and you're kind of just like uh, suspended in this moment of like pure, you know, pure thought and pure energy. Um, And so I called, I called the album that uh, the collection of those, the songs that, because when I was making my solo music, all of all of the songs stemmed from being in that space and just experimenting with tones and textures, and um, it was kind of from that headspace and from that uh, 
the exercise of trying to access that space that all the music kind of came about. So I kind of thought that was a, a fitting concept to kind of overarch over the album. Totally. Yeah. It's when, well, you know, it's interesting about the way you're describing uh, the Lord Lynch to saying these sort of lower realms, because, you know, the average, I don't know, new age thought would be the higher realms. Right. Uh-huh. And it's kind of cool when I think about the lower part of a river, that's the part that's about to reach uh, probably like an ocean or a larger waterway. It's kind of like when it goes into the great source in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a rich place. Yeah. He talks and in, in his, in his small book, he has catching the big fish. I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. He talks about the surface of the water being like, you know, that's the kind of the easiest place to access and that you can see the easiest, but you know, d- the deeper you go into the, into the body of water, like, the stronger the current is and the colder it is and like the more like power there is kind of te- technically uh, physically and you know metaphorically uh, and that that kind of just resonated with me and something i've i've thought a lot and i've been able to apply that in other you know there's a pauline oliveros essay where she kind of talks about deep listening and it kind of it's hitting on all these same kind of uh, platitudes yeah i want to talk about listening as an idea before I do that, I'm assuming then your doorway into some of these experiences and states of mind is through transcendental meditation. Um, not TM per se, but definitely in just meditating and trying to f- focus my mind and and just through stretching and like actually just through deep listening uh, was something I try to do most days uh, to start the day. Um, either if it's just, you know, laying on my back and listening to a specific piece of music, um, you know, that, that's a helpful way to, to kind of enter into that, into that mind space. Right. Yeah. It's something that I've, um, I talk about, I've been doing a concert series that's sort of, I call it, uh, it's a ceremony concert. So it's a, a mixture of concert and sort of ritual and ceremony. And what I'm sort of asking people to do is nothing more than to listen, but I call it active listening. Maybe that's another mm-hmm. way of saying deep listening. And it's really mm-hmm. just um, sort of putting your attention more in tune with, you know, as opposed to that sort of passive listening, kind of our standard state. Right. And it's it's interesting you bring that up. Uh, I did a podcast recently with Caitlin Aurelia Smith, and um, I assume you're familiar with her work, the modular synthesis stuff. Yeah, I if, actually listened to that episode recently. and Okay, um, yeah, and she's all last- about listening. <laughs> Yeah, and her we're, we're label mates on Western Vinyl, although I've never oh, okay. I've, I've never met her personally. Great, yeah. Well, I'm cool you listened to that because like yeah. that was really tripping me out. Um, it wasn't too long ago that we spoke, and uh, I just I've been thinking a lot about it, like that conversation I had with her, and how it's sort of like that's a really powerful main gateway for her in life, right? And yeah. she had that interesting process about how she's sort of using it and sort of asking questions and seeing where it takes her. Um, and it's something I've been chewing on for a while, just sort of like trying to understand it and play with it myself. So I, I find that really cool that for yourself too, you use that word. I saw that in um, the sort of the press about this record you had. Mm-hmm. And how did that inform the creation of the music? I, I hear you saying it's sort of sort of part of your daily practice in a way, or you liked, you know, a form of meditation. Yeah, and I think I kind of tried to access that same frame when i would sit down um 
sit down with a synthesizer or a guitar or whatever, just trying to experiment with texture. Um, we had a little bit of a break, a little hiatus with Balmeray, so I had a, some time on my hands to kind of, I'd never, we've been touring and recording so much over the past 10 years. This is the first time we've had like a, we had like a solid two years with not much going on. So I really kind of dug into that, which I previously never had time for. Was that intentional two years or like you uh, guys decided? Not, not really. It's just kind of slowed down naturally for a moment. And so mm-hmm. um, my bandmate Rob made a solo record and I, I was working on some solo music as well. And we kind of just, we had some book, some times as bookends to, you know, uh, just kind of take a pause for a second while we gathered our thoughts and figured out the next step. So that was very, very helpful just to let me have some time to, you know, slowly get into the world of production and musical creation, which I mean, my, my solo work is, is kind of more minimal and textural and more atmospheric, uh, than the, maybe the more traditional in a musical sense uh, of the world that Balmeray resides in. A bit more acoustic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so tell me about the process of making it. Cause I'm, re- I'm personally really interested in these ideas about, you said toning, listening, creating textures. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I like to get into sometimes the tech side of this too. I mean, tell me a bit about what that creative process looked like for you, because I, some, I just want to add that, Sometimes when I think about like listening and then responding or creating that space to do music from, I am sometimes get into a place where it's almost too uh, self-conscious. You know, it's like if I set the stage in a way where I'm almost like thinking too hard about it, I'm like, okay, now I'm going to like do this and listen for this and then I'm going to respond. I almost feel like the way I can get out of my own way is to not think about it. And just start making noise and just, you know, just doing it, just doing stuff, making stuff. And then I'm actually not thinking about this is important or I need to. Right. I think that's the key to get to the space where you're so you're so immersed and so in it that you kind of lose track of that, that filter. Yeah, that that, active mind part is. Yeah. So when once that dissipates that, I feel like that's when the true like the the pure, the more pure form of of what you have inside of you can can come out. Yeah. but I think, yeah, so I, like I said, I started experimenting with textures and like I got a couple of, of synths and would kind of just play around until I find found a sound that I really liked and I would kind of explore. Um, I always have kind of little melodies or things I hum into my phone just on the, on the spur of the moment when I'm driving or walking or, or traveling. And so I had a lot of those collected and I kind of w- made a big list and went through them all and deleted all the ones that were either too similar to something else that I've, you know, that already exists or that kind of weren't that interesting to me. And I, so I kind of worked, I would work on one piece a day and kind of mm. think I, I would kind of just hum it in my head throughout the day and try to figure out what kind of voice would best portray what I'm kind of was kind of hearing in my head. And, uh, sometimes that was guitar. Sometimes it was a, str- a stringed instrument, cello or violin or, or bass, or sometimes it was, more just like a texture or like a sound uh, that I was kind of trying to emulate. And a big part of what I love about minimal, minimal compositions and experimental music is there's this great symbiosis between organic human made acoustic sounds. And then also this 
with you know with new technology this kind of digital assistance that you can you know make things exactly sort of how you how you intend and i i do love field recordings we've always i've always been a you know a proprietor of of employing those into um, whatever music i'm working on so uh, i took some intentional trips um one that was kind of on the the pacific coast and then my wife and i were traveling in italy and france and i brought um a little synth and my little interface and pro tools on my laptop and a couple of mics and kind of collected stuff and worked on little you know ideas for these songs throughout all those travels so some of these songs were actually you know recorded into pro tools all along the pacific coast or in uh northern italy uh throughout 2018 and then i came back home and kind of did the finishing touches and added a few more pieces and then added all the strings uh cello and upright bass and had a few other instruments added as well uh to kind of finish the process sure and what what sense were you using um i used a juno 60 Mm -hmm. um for kind of more like some more like the bedrock of some of the pads um kind of you know a lot of the noise some the the noise filter on that it's really nice and then i use this strange little cheap yamaha japanese actually the, the printed stuff on the on the top of the synth is all in japanese so i had to have this i found a manual in english i would have to keep referring to to figure out what buttons did what <laughs> um that a friend of mine kind of turned me on to and a casio sk1 actually for just some just some little tones and I use a um, a Roland RE two hundred one Space Echo, uh, sort of as a DI box here and there, and then uh, that's kind of it for like the soft synth stuff. And then some of the stuff was man- a lot of it was manipulated, um, some piano recordings that I manipulated and you know kind of edited to suit to suit the mood of each piece. Right. And, and the Space Echo, is that one of the like originals with the tape in it? Yes. And you're using that as a DI? Does it just give it like some grit or a character? Or? Yeah. I mean, I, ha- I it has an EQ, it has a bass and treble, and then there's reverb, and then there's the echo. You can, you, you know, increase or decrease the rate of the delay and the intensity. Uh, so it just speeds up the motors on the tape. So I, it's just kind of in there just to kind of give it a little bit of warmth. Hmm. I've never thought of using that as a DI. I thought, you know, an effects send, but it's cool. Yeah, I mean, I mean, te- you know, in, in, for all intents and purposes, just to kind of pass it through that to kind of give it a little bit of, get a little bit more. You know, uh, yeah, right. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. And so you were talking about uh, the process being one of like sort of this non-mind or lower river, all these different uh, ideas sort of pointing in the same direction. Were you, are you intending for the record itself to have, uh, does it have that agenda to push someone into that space or are you asking people or inviting them in a certain way to listen to it? Yeah, kind of both. I mean, the main intent is I really want people to, well, in the, in this current age of screen addiction and minimal attention span and, you know, there's so much stimuli at all points of the day no matter where you are i kind of it's important to 
to to remember to listen and to to take time to slow down and like get away from the kind of the rat race and like the that pace of life. Yes. Uh, for myself, I've been you know that's the only way I can really truly like enjoy and like savor my time <laughs> and to find beauty. Like there's so much to sift through. There's so much you have to spend so much more time trying to be inspired if you like. Um, or you're falsely inspired by something that's kind of shallow. I'm not to say my this music will like take you out of that, but I hope it can be, you know, an avenue for people to to like they you know you can't fully get it if you just put it on in the background while you're you know, trying to do something else. Like it's kind of forcing you to if you really want to engage with it and kind of get anything out of it, you have to stop and listen to it, which I kind of feel like is true of anything in life that you know is worthwhile it's not like immediate or um, always you know, momentary right it, something that came up for me uh, i was just thinking about this yesterday i was at this conference uh, the science and non-duality conference in san jose and there was a panel on it's on social justice in regards to um, non-duality sort of like and someone talked about hope I get this right was it like the cheapness of oneness when it can be used as a spiritual bypass for certain people's experience right yeah. uh, probably cultural or societal and I was thinking about you know there's the only way through uh, those spaces and the, the spaces that social justice in general is exploring is by he, people feeling heard and being able to tell their stories and their experience and that just being very purely witnessed by others. Mm. They don't need a response. They don't need your idea about it. They just need to be listened to. And that's a way of exercising uh, grief and a way of us sort of working through trauma and a way of coming into oneness, uh, into health, uh, into some kind of balance, and that's coming up for me when I when I when I hear us talking about listening, because like listening in general, it's a real gift, right? In the sense that our attention is our one of the main gifts we give in the world, whether it's to a corporation or to a screen or to a lover or to anyone, mm-hmm. and what we learn in even in just like regular therapy when people go to couples therapy it's largely about how can you really hear someone else without screwing up that process <laughs> right you know because it can go sideways so fast because you you get triggered or you you and, and as it does in these situations where people are talking about um, race and and gender and them wanting to be heard it can go sideways really fast and get charged very quickly so uh, I feel like you're tapping into that that same meme with this notion of like creating a stage or a mechanism through music for deep listening. And what you hear is individualistic, right? Exactly. And I don't think, you, you know, what you hear when you listen to Lower River is going to be unique to each person, perhaps unique to each listen. Yep. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, it's kind of one of those things where the music I love, you know, depending on your the mood that I'm in, or where I am physically or what I'm doing, you know, every, especially for music that's dense or like complex that requires, you know, nuance in the, in the, in the listening of it, you, 
I love finding new things I'm like, oh, I never noticed that. Or if like when you try to listen to one voice within a composition, you know, it, when you try to pull out an individual voice, you start noticing other things along those, along those lines. And that's something that I really enjoy in music um, and in all art forms, uh, frankly. But that's something I was trying to do myself. Like the music is very simple, but there's a, there's a lot of depth tonally and texturally to explore um, once you're, you know, you have, you have the space and the quietude to, to fully take it in, I think. Yeah, you said before, you have false inspiration. That really stuck out to me. Um, tell me more about what you think false inspiration is or how you know when you are falsely inspired. Hmm. I don't know. I think, I mean, it, it kind of goes back Growing up, I'm looking. I look back on things. I'm like, why did I like this, or what? What was it about this that was so interesting? Where now, looking back, I'm like, this is seems so silly or childish or like not important or relevant in any way. And I think it really has to do with the time that you're in in your present. Like when you're fully in that moment, like you have, you kind of lose the perspective, the foresight looking forward and also looking, you know, the hindsight of looking backward. And then you're like, if you're fully in the moment. Um, I mean, the perception of that inspiration is real to you. So, I mean, I, who, you know, no one's to say something is, I guess, fully falsely inspired or not, but um, I don't know. I think it's, it's so subjective to each individual I mean, I, all you can do is create what is right for you and try to explain why why you did it and what what it's for, and then it's up to any everyone else to kind of to take it from there. Well, sometimes I realize, just like you said, I look back on the things that either inspired me or that the beliefs I held or whatever it is, and now, of course, those have changed. And if anything, that teaches me that I'll probably look back at the things I hold true now and feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And then it just makes me loosen up a bit on what I believe or what I think is this or that. Um, it's all malleable, right? It's all, it's all a matter of this sort of egoic perception anyway. And if either way, if it's touching some part of you inside, that's a valid experience. That felt experience is true, right? right? Um, and it's meaningful in that moment, uh, whatever judgment we may bring to it at another time. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Has any of this work that you're creating now or in the past been informed by any psychedelic experiences for you? Or is that, is it more just sort of like, what's your doorway been into these quote unquote lower realms? Yeah. Um, never in a, in a way via substance, um, but in a way of, I don't know how to explain it. Just like I've always been inspired more, more wholly by sound and by music than anything else. Um, second is, would be like being in the, in nature and like experiencing the grandeur and beauty of the massiveness of nature. But, um, for my own self, the way I can feel moved or inspired or frankly, just feel alive from a certain progression of chords or like this certain harmony, like I don't, it's something that you can't really explain or right. I mean, there is a science to it technically that, you know, of the airwaves moving and the interlocking of the 
of the notes and this and that. And I'm sure there's, you know, I, I have no formal music, music training, but there is no training. Ex- no, I mean, I took guitar, I took guitar lessons, um, throughout my adolescence, but, um, Ooh, I, you mind if we take a quick sidetrack here? I mean, sure. so when you grew up, you, you didn't study any music with any lessons or was there like music in your household or did this just, are you yeah. a black sheep in the family? Not the black sheep. Uh, not really. But I mean, my, my dad played guitar, played like folk guitar, like on a nylon classical guitar. And every night when I was a kid, he would play my brother and I songs. And so I kind of grew up being sung to and played guitar to from my father. And he kind of taught me the basic, you know, chords in the first position on a guitar. Um, and I think when I was about 12, I got a Fender Stratocaster for Christmas one year and started taking lessons. And, um, I always was memorizing music I liked and always kind of envisioned myself being a musician. Even before I started playing guitar, I would like act like I was playing guitar. And I, I spent a lot of time listening to music from a very early age, like collecting cassette tapes and uh, always music, always music in either of my parents' cars, not really at home playing that much, but definitely, um, Every throughout my day, every day there was some sort of music. Um, but yeah, by the by the age of twelve, I was like fully immersed in trying to learn learn and emulate um, other you know songs I liked on guitar. And I've you know I haven't stopped playing since. Would you say that like the listening and how that's been a doorway for your creative process on this record stems out? of a form of grief for you or it's a way of trying to reconnect with something that's interesting um hmm. i wouldn't i'm sure it's not one thing right yeah it's kind of like a like a lament my my listening my desire to listen to a certain type of music or to a certain album or song or whatever comes from a place of like lament perhaps, or like a, not a wallowing, but kind of like a more, yeah, I wouldn't really say grief. It's more of just like a mood. Uh, and it, this is also cyclical with seasons. I feel like in the winter, when it's kind of darker and colder, I really listen to a lot more quieter music and classical music and, you know, minimal stuff. And then when it's brighter and sunnier, I listen, I, I listen to things that kind of relate to that that season a little differently but i think i don't know i mean i have a pretty wide wide range of stuff i like to listen to which like i what? think is uh, well I, I grew up listening to heavy really heavy music um like 80s hair metal and iron maiden and old metallica but then on the other side of this i was really uh really inspired by this guy called ray lynch uh who was popular in the mid to late eighties and he had an album called deep breakfast, which is like pure new age. Um, <laughs> love that title. Yeah. It's, in, it's incredible. Uh, my dad, we were in a Sam Goody record store. Um, I grew up in San Diego and in San Diego, we were, went, we went to the record store. We were at the mall one day and it was playing in the record store. And my dad was like, what is it? you know, asked the clerk what it was and he bought the tape. And that was like in his, we played that in his car, like going to school and, every day for years wow and i still i you know and i've since i have 
I found a copy on vinyl, um, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago. So I've, you know, I, I still listen to it. Um, that was a really influential album for me. And in my mom's car, she had the cassette tape of Graceland by Paul Simon, which never left that tape deck for like three or four years. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. So, so it goes from like, you know, Metallica master of puppets to this new age album, deep breakfast to like Paul Simon. And then, you know, growing up listening, like being in the grunge era of like Nirvana and Soundgarden and those things. And then moving into like Fugazi and getting into like older punk, like bad brains and misfits and minor threat. And I, but the really, the really um, important album to me that I feel like kind of broke open my musical mind in a sense of thinking about music and myself creating it and like what was possible was I think it was night. I was in night. It was 1996 uh, when I first heard it, but the first album from tortoise, uh, the band from oh, Chicago. Yeah. Their first album, the self-titled album, which I believe came out in 94. Um, I was, I was visiting a friend. We had moved to Texas and I went back to San Diego to visit my best childhood friend and he had just gotten that album and put it on. And for, at first, I was like, "This is this is such weird music." And then I I got really into it. And when I came back to Texas, I bought a copy and that never left my turntable for like a year. I would just flip it over and over and over every night. I would be doing my homework and just listening to that album. And that kind of got me into like the instrumental sort of rock based instrumentation, right? Um, and then from there, it's kind of just all over the place. But really, from when we started Valmoray in 2006, um, the music that was going on at that time, Type Records, was big at the moment. And so all of those bands, and just from touring and meeting other people, and there's, I don't know, there's just so much, there's so many avenues in music you can you can be inspired from. Um, I, I don't know, I like I like having a lot of different, different sources to you know especially now with spotify and title and these things it's so easy to it's amazing yeah you can hear all sorts <laughs> of stuff you know just based on what what the exact thing you're feeling you can just you know tap, tap your screen a few times and it's playing into your ears you know yeah i know man i mean i was only not too long ago i just saw this video that was kind of old and it was talking about like they're using music for people who have dementia who are kind of completely nonverbal and and then they play their favorite music and they come to life and it was oliver Sacks was in this documentary and he's saying with the advent of the technology of something the size of a matchbox that can play music that you uh, you know hundreds of songs and it's like how quickly it's just been cruising along the technology of music and how that's changed how we listen to it and how it's changed what role it plays in our lives you know it's never been more pervasive in the world probably in the history of the world, unless you believe in like previous civilizations than now. And yeah. it, I would only think it's going to continue to integrate more deeply into our, our life in ways we haven't quite even thought about right. you know, seamlessly. And some sort of implant or something. God knows, man. But I mean, I, I, I do thought experiments to think about this and none of them are great, but I, I'm thinking what might happen. You know, I've, worked with a few startups that are trying to do AI based music. They're all terrible right now, but you know, 
We also just like supposedly got into quantum supremacy with Google and they're making computers that can do in 200 seconds what it takes another computer to do in 10,000 years. Mm. It's like, God knows what we can do. And I would imagine like the idea of a playlist would become personalized to the level of like your Spotify is like your own AI and it will make you whatever music you want in the moment on the fly infinitely. Mm. Yeah, that seems plausible, yeah. (laughs) maybe but what i also believe and i've seen this evidenced in my own work and i know you've seen this too there is a hunger for the genuine and the authentic and you see that like in the live performance there's an increased yin yang type effect with more technology there's more of a desire for like that personal real experience like human to human because it's it's necessary i think Mm -hmm. to feel alive and that's not going to go away so it's not like we can just have computers doing our art I, I don't believe that can be true because something about the the experience and connection whether music is making you feel more connected to yourself or connected to others through groups that's going to increase as a need i i believe uh, yeah i i still think there's nothing that can replace the human in musical creation the human touch of the human's breath or like the texture of of human's hands on a strings like Yes. And then the human also, voice really is what it right. is kind of the original thing that almost can never probably be fully replicated. Sure. Or like a, the human's breath going through through a, a tube and then, mm-hmm. you know, cutting off, making the pitch shorter or longer based on where, where your fingers are covering a hole. Like the, the sound of that, that can't be replicated by, I mean, sort of in some ways it can be, but not fully. And, and just the tactile like viscera of seeing you know, seeing something live and watching someone move their hands or their jaw and then the airwaves are changed and the air, you can see that and feel that right in front of you. Like, especially if, you know, you're at a, at a loud, a louder concert or something, um, or like in an acoustic space, hearing some, hearing like a, a perfectly, you know, a cello being perfectly moved around a room, like it's designed like in a concert hall or something like that. There's nothing that can kind of replace that. I agree. And I also think there's something that we haven't been able to quantify. There's like that missing je ne sais quoi. There's an energy transference between a person and a person. There's something there that's more than the sum of its parts of just tones and ratios and so forth. Sure. Especially Um, when, you know, if like at a, a show, like if you go to YouTube and like watch old Fugazi shows where like, the crowd is like on the stage and singing all the words. And <laughs> like there is, there is something to that, that you can't really replicate otherwise. I saw Fugazi play in Poughkeepsie, New York. And it was like, uh, I mean, they weren't at their height. It was probably, you know, at that point, let me think maybe 1998, 97, something like that. Hmm. I don't know, but it's um, incredible. I'm glad someone dragged me there so I could, Oh, that's that great. Out. I've never seen them. I wish I, I wish I could. I've, I keep crossing my fingers for some sort of reunion or something. Could happen. <laughs> we'll see. So are you, are you doing music full time? Yeah. I, as at this moment, yes. Um, I do photography too, um, kind of editorial and some landscapes and some interiors. I did that, you know, music and photography half and half between like 2006 and maybe 2015, 16. 
And around 2015, we, I co-managed the band with Rob, my partner in Balmeray. Um, so between that and starting my own solo project, like that's kind of all there's time for. Um, right. Yeah. I know and, how that goes. Yeah. And thankfully we, like, like you mentioned in the beginning, we have done some sync work, um, for those who don't know, sync is when you get a song placed in a TV show or a film or an, an ad. Uh, so, you know, that's been a large part of our being able to stay stay active this long is by having those those little placements. Um, you know, sometimes there, it, there's, you know, a, a better one and some, sometimes there's not. But, um, you know, the, the general um, projection is going forward. And so we were, were trying to do that more and more um yeah scoring do you guys do any scoring yeah we did we did we just we scored a french feature film last fall um it's, i don't think it ever came out in the u.s uh but it was it was in france spain italy and switzerland i believe uh, theatrically uh we've done one other feature film in 2010 that actually won best narrative direction at the tribeca film fest called dog pound uh which I was really proud of the music that was like a full, a full feature score, um, pretty intense subject matter about these teenagers that get sent to like this high, high security detention center in rural Canada or like kind of like a juvenile hall, but a juvenile detention center, but about all the ongoings and political things going on in there. It's, it's pretty intense. Okay. Not, not for the faint of heart. Uh, we've done we've done a few documentaries and short films, and uh, we did did a video game once that was like a children's video game uh, in England. And who's rubbing you for the publishing stuff or the sync stuff? Um, the pub our publishing team is based in London. It's called Manners McDade, and we've been with them for a few years now. And we just re-signed. Uh, they've been great. And then everything else. Uh, from the master side, from the recording side, is through our label, Western Vinyl, and uh, we've worked with a couple other people that you know help pitch us uh, for you know to TV studios or, or movies. And like that. We've never gone the management route besides doing it yourselves. That's an interesting approach. Not for lack of trying. Like we've always wanted help and always tried to. You know, we've, there's been a few times where we've had actual contracts, but nothing's ever. Yeah. You know, at the, nothing's ever been quite exactly right, or didn't wasn't the right time, or didn't feel exactly right. So, yeah, I mean, we it's kind of nice being on the inside track of the dealings of everything, from the tours to the record to the to the design of you know the little logistical things. We've kind of gotten used to dealing with all that and being being so close to it. I don't know; it would be pretty hard to let someone else just take over. Um, it would be nice to not have to answer emails, you know a few every every day but (laughs) kind of used to it now yeah yeah and when you as you guys are moving forward with the band um i asked you at the beginning about sort of like creative intentional constraints maybe you know instruments or the sound Uh you've had that consistency but are you going to kind of hold to that or would you say hey let's do a record with a vocalist or let's do such and such or i don't know just kind of follow where you're you're interested going or do you feel like you've created a fan base and you want to stay within a certain world? I think that, uh, we, like you said, we have created kind of a sound, a sound world that we exist within. And, uh, 
I think with each album, there's kind of this bedrock that kind of sounds the same. There's been some liberties where we, we take a different direction, but there's still at the same time, this kind of overarching similarity and congruency between, you know, from album to album. And there's times where we, we've kind of paired it back. Uh, our album constellations is like a lot more quiet and more classically arranged. And then our album in 2012 stranger is much more like percussive and, rock influenced i guess you could say there's like some like distorted some elements jams. and yeah yeah it's kind of more more a little more upbeat and a little more complex and then the new stuff we're working on now is kind of back the other way where it's more classical and we're adding some woodwinds and brass and it's kind of but it still re- kind of retains the same you know underlying feeling somehow but i think that's important that we don't want to it has to make sense and fit in the world. We wouldn't do something completely different ever, I don't think. Yeah. Well, I look forward to it. And when does Lower River come out? Is it out now? It's not, right? Lower River came out two days ago, Friday. Two last days Friday. ago? Oh, congratulations. Yeah, so that's that's out on all on all platforms. And it's just it's just under my own name with my middle initial, Michael A. Muller, M-U-L-L-E-R. So Wonderful. Can get away and put put some nice headphones on and lay on the ground uh, or float float in the ocean and listen to it. Yeah, man, take it into a float tank. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Deprivation. <laughs> yep. Cool, cool. And any other ways, uh, best ways for people to connect with you? You think would you prefer just to send them find the music on the the platforms? Or is it, what if they want some vinyl or anything like that? Yeah, the vinyl uh, is was pressed by a label in Portland, Oregon called Beacon Sound. So you can go to Beacon, I think it's wearebeaconsound.com. Or just, you just type in Beacon Sound Lower River, you'll find it. Um, it's also available on my Bandcamp, and my website is michael-muller.com. And it's out there. If you just search for Lower River, you'll find it. Did Beacon Sound just do a deal with you, like just for the vinyl? Yep, just for the vinyl. Um, oh, cool. And a, a small label from Sweden called 1631 Recordings is handling all the digital. Yeah, I released a record with them a few years ago. Oh, you did? Yeah, cool. David, right? Yeah, David, yep. Yeah. He's a, an old friend and kind of kept in touch over the years. Yeah, I have a record they have called Held that you'd probably like. It's mostly just piano and some strings. That uh, It's one of my favorite records. Oh, awesome. I'll check that Very out. Very peaceful and intimate. Yeah. Sweet, man. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. It's a real joy for myself just to be able to, to let you know that you've been an inspiration to me over the years. And I'm happy to be able to dig into this new work of yours. And I look forward to crossing paths sometime. Likewise, thank you so much for your time. It was my pleasure to be here. Well, thank you, Michael, for joining us. Always awesome to be able to talk to folks who have inspired me in the past. Uh, Please check out his album, Lower River. It's amazing. And check out all of Balmoray's catalog, particularly River Arms, that first record. But they have so many. They've been around a long time. They've kind of been doing what they've been doing a little longer than me. So they have a lot of releases, too. And they put on a great live show if you ever get a chance to see them. Uh, This music that you're hearing in the background, it is called Limitations. It's an older East Forest track. You guys keep walking your walk. Don't take any shit. But if you do, please do it with grace. Grace.